Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Writer's Block Podcast, your one true source for getting the inside scoop from the writers of your favorite TV comedy shows and only your favorites. Forget that other trash. It knows who it is. I'm your host, J.R. Havlin. I lost my voice this weekend. Can you tell? Kind of sounds like I've been replaced by a teenage Barry White. But it's me. No need to contact the authorities. I've got a good one for you today. My guest is John Bynes, writer for Jimmy Kimmel Live, which, of course, is taped in L.A., and yet John lives in Brooklyn. What? What did I just say? How do they make it work? That's topic A. John and I also go deep on different routes through the maze that is getting a job in the comedy writing world, stand-up, improv, sketch, and education involving very old buildings with ivy on them. There are more ways in than you might think. We also address the age-old comedy question, Is there anything funnier than a fart? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I just blow your mind? And of course, John and I close it all out by joining forces to try to mine some comedy out of a random topic. And not just any comedy, but something that can actually be produced without having to bring in Steven Spielberg or Peter Jackson. That's very important. Those guys are havoc on your budget. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And a very special thanks to those who have returned to the podcast. You're all part of the writer's block now. Let's do this. people in the theater on a Friday night. I feel like the Angelica's gonna die. I, it hasn't yet. No, I know. I think stand? it would be it's that eight dollar popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's where they get you. That's where it literally is eight dollars. The uh, it was really yeah eight dollars. Oh. oh, check this out. Is it too. for the big giant bucket or save this anecdote for the podcast? But uh, uh, so it's like it's seven ninety five, eight ninety five, and nine ninety five. I think or six, seven, eight like yeah, that. Right. Uh, and so I get the big one because yeah. like whatever you might as well sure, get the, the bucket. You go and bucket. as they're filling it, the guy goes, "You get one free refill." Yeah, oh, but only with the big one. No, I think with all. Oh, oh maybe, really? maybe. I know it's only with the big one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that. All right, because yeah. otherwise. Yeah. All right, I'm. You know, you don't have to be advanced in because math. they know you're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you're just going to leave. You're going to have to go out on a stretcher. Like, popcorn is free. You know? <laughs> popcorn is absolutely the profit free margin is what you pay minus. Everything. Profit margin, minus literally zero. 99%. Yeah. Um, welcome to the Writer's Block. I'm J.R. Havlin. I'm here with uh, John Bynes. Hey, everybody. That's right. Uh, writer for Jimmy Kimmel Live. Very exciting. And yet, here we are in Brooklyn, New York, at your home. Uh, explain yes. yourself. Well, uh, I am very privileged to have a job writing on a late night show where I'm able to uh, write from the opposite coast. Uh, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't know, that way. At, was it? That, it wasn't that way at first. You were. Oh out no, there no, no, right. no. Yeah. I. Um, Your family right. moved out here first. My wife said we really to need you. to be back here so that she can be uh, closer to her family in that yeah. time. And so I went to Jimmy and and uh, I asked if he might be willing to cut me this deal, and he agreed. And, uh, you know, it was very generous of him and, uh, it's working out great for me. Well, you've been doing that now for how long? Four years. Four years you've been out here working on the show that's on the the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's obvious disadvantages too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I I want to talk about that. Yeah. I want to talk about that because, um, when you made that move, 
was it discussed among you um, and Jimmy like uh, uh, well I'm not going to be able to do this this or this anymore so let me stick to this and do you know what I mean I mean it, I mean I was clear about the fact that I understood essentially when I I suggested it I said look I understand that this is not an ideal situation and I understand that here are the areas where I'm going to be able to be less effective you know and, and that is in actually doing sketches and, and helping produce well, them and being on site. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Jimmy just came out to Brooklyn, you know, uh, for a week of shows yeah, right. and, uh, during the hurricane. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good timing. That yeah. Way. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and, you know, I got to go to work every day again and I got to be involved. You know, there's a lot of time spent in the edit base. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of like when you can be on set, when you can be helping, uh, it's useful. And that is something that I haven't been able to do as much from uh, from New York. And there's various ways I can listen to reads. Sometimes they can post things, uh-huh. but it's just a little more labor intensive. So, right. you know, again, I just feel like it, he uh, was very generous to be willing to accommodate me in those areas because, it, it you know, there, but there, there are compensating advantages. I do think my writing has improved in some ways uh, from having this ability to be off here and really just focus in on, you know, the, on the writing that I'm doing uh, without some of the distractions maybe of office life even. I mean, it's a kind of uh, hermetic so Of somebody existence. knocking on your door or whatever you... Yeah, yeah, I do feel like you still my... Need, but, that, but, I mean, uh, but also... You feel like you are in New York City. You could also be easily attracted by a lot of other things. It's almost like it, it takes a certain amount of... Uh, well, by the way, I mean, that's another useful thing. You know, every once in a while, the show will come out here uh, for to shoot various bits, and I'm here. You know, they don't have to send a writer out, uh, and I can oh, okay. go to other East Coast shoots if I need to. They right. can send me to Florida. I was down there you oh, know, doing do a shack bit uh, oh, awesome. with, with uh, Guillermo last year yeah i mean it comes up from time to time right. so it's you know it also there's some advantages to having me here being the new york writer uh, you know uh we used to shoot stuff with regis and i'd go out there you should get that as your credit on the show as they roll by new, new york, york writer, writer. <laughs> yeah. yeah falconer no i mean the point is like it's not that you know obviously there are some advantages to it there's also some disadvantages and yes those were discussed at at the beginning um and uh you know uh, I'm really fortunate that that he made the decision to allow it to go and, ahead. And those those uh, um, I mean, if you're just writing, do you do monologue jokes too? Oh yeah. Okay. I so mean, so I monologue do. jokes are monologue jokes. That's a, that's the kind of thing. You just... Mostly what I write is you know late night sketches and jokes. Right. I mean that's what most late night writers do all day is write you know sketches and jokes. Right. But for what I'm saying is for the monologue jokes. Yeah. That is that is not the type of thing that no matter where you are. Right. There's not much of a difference to that process. That's that's no, a anyone, punch line and you hand right. it in and it either gets Since the days when people were faxing in jokes to, to <clears throat> Which Johnny I used Carson. To do. That's how know? I got started. That was my first job was was faxing into uh, Bill Maher, politically yeah, incorrect. Yeah. But the but when you're writing a sketch, right. then you hand that in and you can get feedback on it and do your rewrite, that's but right. you can't be there for the production of it. That's and right. that and a lot and like I'm saying with the um, with the rewriting and the production of our show a lot of the content, a lot of stuff changes once it's handed over to actually get done. You know, you go to a shoot, something's wrong or something's different on the set, so you got to change right. it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens in there that you don't get to participate in, but everybody knew that, yes. and everybody was like, you know, that's just that's just something we got to deal with. Somebody no, else will take over your bit. 
That's yes, that's something that has to happen. Another yeah. writer gets assigned to it, and I try to do everything I can to make it as painless a process as possible. I'll try to write in as much of the stage direction and as much of everything as I can, you know. But so that they can, yeah. So that they, ha- I don't, you know, I feel bad. I don't, you know, I don't like other people doing work that you know I could be doing. Well, but I mean, it's it's not as if uh, um, they go into this. I or I mean, maybe it is, but it seems like it might not be that they they go into this and feel. Like they're doing somebody else's thing. They still have a, they oh, yeah. still have I mean, a lot could... of creativity to put into Absolutely. it. That's what I'm and saying. They... Like at that point, you know, you can put in all the stage direction you want. You can put in all this stuff. But when it starts getting shot, somebody sure. says something else. You want to add in this stuff, and yeah, you yeah. have to you have to hand over that freedom for them. So they're not just taking like somebody else's work and just cutting and pasting. No, no, I agree with that. On the other hand, you know, uh, there's never a time when it comes around and it's like, hey, Bynes, it's your turn to take over my bit now. You know, no, no, that's but the that's... thing. Where, you know, if there was a little more reciprocity, then I would say, yeah, it's all fine and collaborative. But the way it works in practice is like, you know, maybe they think my my bit's a piece of garbage and now they're in charge of a piece of garbage, you know, and maybe they can make it better. Uh, maybe they can't and obviously they won't ultimately take the blame for it but there is a little bit of like you know once you get put in charge of something it kind of does reflect back on you right and so yeah I mean it's definitely not optimal that way uh, and all I can do is try to write it as funny as I can and try to make it as clear as I can you know for the people who are gonna have to execute uh, and also to let them know that yes I trust you and I you know I'm cool with you changing it you know right. if you think it's better different way I want you to have the power to do that on set just as I would want to have it right. like I don't yeah, sure. I don't want to be like some kind of like you know control and does freak that, I mean over. when what what is is your and your experience I assume has been generally good as far yeah. as that's concerned and, and by I the mean, way i mean jimmy gets the ultimate say on all of this right you now i mean like every script goes by jimmy and jimmy sees everything that gets shot you and know, then once it gets and, shot is he in a, does he see something and say i want you to change this this and this yes and they put it he's back in the very edit. involved yeah. in the in every aspect of the writing so you know i mean he's the ultimate arbiter well isn't that the case though i mean you're talking about this is sort of like right. as the writer right. and not the executive producer or ultimately obviously right. the host Right. Um, your life, your job is to submit things at, at the highest level that you possibly can, right. knowing it's going to get changed. Yeah, and not only that, but I mean, this is, a, I think, a really important point that, um, you know, I write it because I have a vision and I think it's really funny, mm-hmm. but Jimmy greenlights it because he has a vision. Like, he's read it. And he looks he at it what he and can he's do like, he, he likes it for the reason that he likes it, that he knows, you know? Uh-huh. So now it's like, you know, he has greenlit it, not because, oh, Bynes is so funny, you know? It's because like, yeah, this will work for me and for my show and I know what I need. But and that so vision then, might not be the same as yours, you're saying. Yeah, it definitely won't be. I mean, you know, sometimes it will not be. Definitely, the, I mean, yeah. there's some short bits and stuff, like, but there typically are changes that Jimmy wants because, he, you know, it's his right. show and sure. he wants to do You're what not he wants him. to do. And so, you know, in a way, you know, it's a little bit less you know, disastrous that I, or disastrous is too strong a word, but like it, it matters a little less that I'm not there because whoever is assigned to the bit is really executing Jimmy's vision, you know, uh, and not mine. My vision is what started with and Jimmy's is what you want to get to because that's what's going to make him happy. And when Jimmy's happy, everybody's happy. Everybody you know? in the world. <laughs> everybody in the world is happy. He's like Santa Claus. Exactly, exactly. No, but it's true, you know. I mean, you have to, and that's one of the big things you learn writing comedy is to really try to 
understand and write for voice. You know, when I was writing for The Daily Show, it was a very, very different uh, voice than writing for Jimmy. I want to talk about that later. First, let's build up to that and get to this this origin story of, uh, of John Bynes. And I think comedy. that's smart because I think the chances that anyone would find themselves in a situation like mine are exceedingly slim. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, yeah so... and, then, and there's no question about it. I mean, it's like, it's not only exceedingly slim, it's, it's wholly un... Not completely it. unprecedented. You know, in the, the old days, uh, there were writers... You mean the, the, the 90s? From, in, no, I, yeah, I'm talking about <laughs> Johnny Carson. I'm talking about before Johnny Carson. There were, you know, I don't know when fax machines go back to, but there were writers on the East Coast who would fax material into these shows and actually, I believe, make a living doing it, uh, among other things. You know, it's not unprecedented that people would work from the opposite coast, but it's, it's, it's not common. Right, 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 right. You were talking about Jimmy Kimmel, yes, being a, a a a big part. In fact, a huge part. In fact, maybe like without him, you you don't have a career in comedy writing. If a career is defined as making money doing what you love, then that's right. That yes. is, I think, exactly. <laughs> you can, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how you get out Turned of defining it as anything else. Hobby into a career. Yeah. Well, I don't know what you call it for the well, twelve. Career. I mean, like, yeah. like a career, like twelve you, years before you have actually made more than like fifty dollars off of what you've been doing. You you call it a. You can call it a calling. And you by can the way, call do it you a blind dream? Do you subtract? I think about the money, the the limited amount of money I've made with my comedy writing before the television career took off, and then I wonder, do you have to subtract? Tracked all the bringers from when you were doing stand-up for the for for what you because they have to pay a twenty dollar you know cover and two drinks that's actually money that's that's been expended you know towards, towards your, career. your career I feel like I was in if you count what everyone else spent on me getting well, me started I'm you, in the whole pretty bringers, <laughs> you mean doing, doing stand-up and having to bring people to a show that's right when you're starting up at stand-up you have to bring five people and it's they have to the pay, bringer yeah. pay the cover and pay the two drinks to watch you and everyone else who sucks as badly yeah, who sucks. as you yeah who's terrible uh, but you're also terrible yeah, yeah. It's you start when the you start human sacrifice like the carnage that was wreaked and you there's know no, to get me there's you can't put the, a price on it <laughs> You cannot put a price it's on tragic. that. So, you so I don't see know. The yeah, like, haunted look on my brother's face. When, <laughs> you know, the twenty shows he saw, the same crappy material. The same crappy five minutes. I, 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 was when I love I was the a, idea that you're doing it. You're you're doing a stand up show, and you can describe one of the people you know being there as having a haunted look on their it's face. True. That was when I was okay. known as the uh, the uh, the butter guy because my closer was about. I can't believe it's not butter. Please do it now. <laughs> I can't. I By can't. all means, I, you can. All right. Uh, that I was in the supermarket. <laughs> sell it oh this is this is gonna kill yeah uh and i saw this product i can't believe it's not butter right i can't believe it's not. and then i saw this other product called this can't be yogurt how about a product called ah fuck i can't remember my own joke <laughs> of course uh, how about go uh, ahead though it's so right. i do how it again a called yeah how you about cut product? this and go back and like uh, i'm not going to because this no. is too this all is right. too good all right here we go <laughs> i'm in a supermarket don't do that sorry i'm in a supermarket i see a product called i can't believe it's not butter then i see this other product called this can't be yogurt how about a product called is this shit butter or yogurt yeah, and there you go that's the clo- good night no there was a little bit more actually it went on it was like uh uh the this shit can't be uh, is this shit butter or yogurt and then like how about a product called what the fuck am I eating and then I would say I turn it around and be like <laughs> I like that that's funny yeah people that would get a laugh and they'd yeah. go like I'm Jewish uh, a Jew would never buy I can't believe it's not butter because we wouldn't say it like that you'd have to have a product for us called not butter 
this I can't believe. Yeah. That's, yeah. And then out That's I go. Bad. Oh, I see I've That's got the light. Routine. I see they're flashing the light with a panicked look on their face. Oh, you would uh, actually say that? Too? No, I'm just saying yeah, right, that, no. that's what I was feeling. Inside. No, those are yeah, those yeah. are good. Those are nice toppers to the thing. Yeah, yeah. When you're starting out and that's all you got. Well, I think you know? it's Brian. I, maybe it's Brian Regan a long time ago and stuff, but it, was it him who did a, a, a long routine about, I don't know, some, maybe it wasn't look, Brian Regan, but why not bring up Brian Regan? When, sure. When it's not? always a good idea. Pat Oswald does bits about, you know, the noodle bowl, whatever, the uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken and stuff like that. It's not, the, you know, the, the topic is not really the issue. If you're a brilliant comedian, you can transform any topic into genius. It's just that uh, I did not do that because I was starting out. And, uh, you know, nobody, when you're starting out, you're just, you're, you're flailing and you're trying to figure out what gets a laugh. And for whatever reason, the I can't believe it's not butter joke was the best thing in my act so that was the closer and i was the butter guy for a long time and it was humiliating there were years of humiliation did people call you the butter guy some guys did yeah i mean there was a certain appreciation for the fact that that joke actually did get me off stage uh just some laughter and applause right i think i sold it a little bit it's been a while since i since i really told that joke uh but that's how it all started well no so so you started doing stand-up I didn't. I mean, if you want to go back, I had a, a humor column that I wrote for. I, I went to Brown, yeah, the Brown Daily uh, Herald. Brown, yes, I wanted and, to talk uh, about education. Comedy writers tend to be uh, heavily educated people. Somehow. Yeah, overeducated. Maybe nothing to do with their education. Uh, well, overeducated. Well, what do you mean, comedy writing? I think it's mean? useful to have those references. It's I mean, the more it's beyond, it's beyond useful. I, definitely at the Daily Show, where you worked for oh, how many years? Totally, uh, two years. Two years. Definitely at the Daily Show. But even anywhere else, the, the there is uh, um, in stand-up in anything. In stand-up, it allows you to take your butter routine and make something out of it that is more potentially meaningful. In theory, in, yes. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> not everybody's good at that. But you can, right. But uh, and that's sort of a ridiculous example, really. Not not necessarily totally apt. But the uh, um, having those things in your head. I mean, those that's right. comedy writers are overeducated people. You would think for what they're doing, no, they're just writing comedy, but they use it. Oh, totally. I mean, the more reference and the more specificity you can have about your reference, you know, the better the comedy is going right. to be. If you want right. to, don't just reference quantum mechanics, you know, reference string theory. And yeah, don't yeah, just yeah. Reference oh, I was just going to say that. Reference, exactly. <laughs> you know, reference the 11 dimensions of string theory. Because it doesn't matter if people, people like to know that you have this idea, that you get, you can grasp what's going on. And in fact, you know, you can actually use specificity as a form of like, you know, comic strength, like old Dennis Miller routines. You know, right. have people were laughing. They didn't get the references, but they didn't want other people to know they didn't get the references. Well, and, what, and, and they were also just about, enjoying. And the I think what you're talking around. about also is that, is that there's there's a big difference between just referencing something and 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 displaying an actual knowledge of it. That's right. And yeah. and that is it's it's impressive and. Um, and it helps the specificity. Yeah, know, yeah. There's uh, a lot of lazy comedy help. that just kind of like throws references. It can around. also turn a comedy bit into a lecture <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> you never know. Done that from time to time. Um, what and and uh, what did you study at Brown? I was an Eastern religious studies. See, major. I love that shit. So that's yeah. and that's another thing I think about a lot of comedy writers is that if you go down any comedy writing staff, first of all, you'll see that they that the vast majority of them went to pretty good schools and are very well educated people. Right. And then you'll find out that 
if you go down what their majors were, it's it's shit like that. It's it, it, it's right. uh, one of our writers' medieval um, religion. Yeah. Um, his you know history. I think that the comedy writers divide pretty evenly into overeducated people who you know didn't want to go the traditional route and and people who just flunked out of everything and didn't know what to do with themselves. Would, you think evenly? Well, maybe not evenly. There's more on the educated not in my side. not in not in the Daily Show world. That's well, certainly sure. not. But that's kind of an exception. You know, yeah, you right. need a very specific set of of you know references and knowledge you know it's a, it's a lot of politics and right. then you want to get into you know the, some of the uh, philosophy you know political philosophy you know, the more you know the better off you're going to be and that's why you know I think The Daily Show draws from that pool yeah. in fact you know uh, Steve Bodo came out of the world of the uh, you know out of the world of uh, magazine writing he didn't even have right, a yeah, formal comedy background right uh, well no he was in um, Steve Bodo is the uh, executive producer co-executive producer of The Daily Show now he started as a writer became head writer and became co-executive producer and um he's a yaley right and he has a theater background he was he a theater a, well writer. theater yeah but he he was also in an improv group uh, that's with what, with with joe miller who is my sure, guest but you know uh, that's not you. the same like that does not prepare you for being a comedy writer. no but it gives you it, improv it, is it, great it, you but know? it puts you but it, it doesn't but it, it at the very least it gets you involved in comedy it gets you it gets your yeah. mind Thinking in that direction right. and and performing, you know, gives you uh, um, a lot of times in a writer's room. There's there are performances going on. I mean, you're you're trying to sell your stuff. Absolutely, but in general, I mean, yes, but I I would definitely suggest improvisational comedies. You know, as something as part of a, an arsenal if you were preparing. You know, but uh, what it mostly teaches you is to let go of fear and to be in the moment, to be right. spontaneous, yes. and to trust your instincts. Yes, uh, and, you know, to see whether your instincts are worth trusting. Yeah, and that's all really valuable. But you know, it's not going to. You know, there, writing comedy is about structure, and it's about you know very knowing it, it's a, there's a sense there's a sort of uh, a flow to comedy that that uh, develops as you write it that doesn't necessarily come out of improvisational comedy in fact the whole i feel like the rhythm of improvisational comedy is, is somewhat different from from that of written comedy so i think stand-up is in well a without way, without question but i i but but i think uh, you know if you're talking about written comedy if you're talking about like writing you're not talking about like set up punchline like monologue joke you're talking about like writing a movie writing uh, like if you're talking about that kind of thing then of course you know you have to have some sort of structure if you're writing right. a sitcom sure. if you're writing a movie you have to have some sort of structure yeah. um but yeah, I guess a lot right. of I'm the talking. jokes that go within that structure come from the improv in your own head. That's true. Yeah. That's um, right. So I mean, that's that you know, so that is not separated entirely. It's all these muscles that you develop and flex throughout yes. your career. And when you're able, the, the more you have, the more you can combine them to work. I never did improv before, which I was, which I, um, I think because I fear it. Yeah, you know, I, I just I just went to uh, UCB uh, last year. Actually, I did Improv oh, One Hundred and One. Yeah. Oh wow! Oh, yeah. Oh, they started One Hundred and One. Now they're gonna. You, you know, they're gonna get One Hundred and Two. What? You don't think you get past? No, I think I, it goes up to one one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I loved it, but I was terrible at it. Who was the uh, instructor? Or was well, there, there were such a, couple, a of, couple of instructors. It's been a while now, and I forget they switched instructors midstream. Okay. They were both oh. very good, though. Um, okay. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really it was really exciting, uh, especially because you know I do a lot of writing on my own. Yeah. Uh, 
it was great to be back in a collaborative environment and uh, it right. was great to be put on the spot like that and uh, to not really, you know, when you're by yourself writing, you have a lot of time to sit there and just mull and think, well, maybe something better will come along. But you can't do that in improv. you got to get it right out well, there. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's get on to that. You are listening to uh, Writer's Block podcast with uh, J.R. Havlin. That's me. I'm with John Bynes, writer for um, Jimmy Kimmel Live. And uh, um, used to work with me on the uh, Daily Show for a couple of years. I want to talk about uh, just just in in a nutshell the the whole beginning thing. You know, why is it that you feel that you um, owe so much to to Jimmy Kimmel? Oh well, uh, you know, how did you get started? Well, you know, beyond that, you do stand up, you do that stuff. Yeah. But as far as like, what was your first job, and how did you get it? relatively quickly you know what I mean well that's not oh you mean relatively like sum sum it up is that what you're saying yeah 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 yeah. got it got it you know my recollection is that he suggested they suggested that I submit for season two of the man show and I turned it down like I didn't turn the show down I turned I said I'm not interested in that because I thought like "Ah, I'm not really that's not my kind of comedy Uh you know I'm this intellectual doing my jokes about Uh I can't believe it's not butter Uh, (laughs) yeah I don't know what I was I won't do that I'm too busy doing my I can't believe it's not butter closer at the at the crappy comedy club right well (laughs) yes and then well and and also it it showed a, a total misunderstanding of the man show which is not really misogynistic humor it's actually like making fun of the guys who are in the audience at the man show and i think that you know these these lunkheads who, who it, it, it's it's yeah it's quite meta in a way uh and i think the proof of that is the is fact that, that was that planned from the beginning or is that something they decided to go with after it was you know it's kind of like I mean, the simpsons where like you can enjoy it at various levels like if you are a lunkhead you could enjoy yeah, that show right. at, at the lunkhead level like yeah girls on trampolines you know but if you go deeper into the actual meat of the sketches it, a lot of them are really making fun of that crowd and they you know just can't just see the train, it the and that's train another monkeys out in the audience yeah and that's another level you can you, you can appreciate the show at right uh, I discovered later and the, the further proof of that is the fact that after Jimmy and Adam left the man show uh, it was taken over for a year Comedy Central owned it and they tried tried it out with two new hosts who really did think it was some sort of misogynistic you know was girls it on Joe trend. Rogan or I can't it was like some guy who had been in porn or something I, I'm trying to remember anyway uh, you Ron know Jeremy. that didn't it wasn't quite that I think that might have been a better route actually like than steel. what they really did because you know what was happening is those guys I'm convinced I don't know this for sure that's just my theory but I'm convinced those guys thought that the way the man show was written it was a bunch of guys got in a room with some beers and said oh you know it would be awesome well they were drinking the whole time I mean how- it looked like that on TV because TV because isn't they real were drinking because TV isn't what, well they weren't drinking actual beer they were drinking actual beer on the, on the <laughs> so man show and the whole audience was served beer at the okay, man show yeah so- there was there's a lot of beer flowing on the show, but behind the scenes, there were a lot of nerdy writers yeah, right. who were spending well, course, a lot know, of time. They were only taking mushrooms. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because that's what you have to to come up with. Actually, you know what? I some of the sketches I wrote at the Man Show would have been great to see on uh, on mushrooms. In particular, there's a uh, fake 1950s documentary called Dildos and You which takes you through the dildo manufacturing process. <laughs> Here's where the dildos... I have no idea where this idea came from or why it was greenlit. It, it was very expensive to shoot. They had to build sets. It's all black and it's white. It's all black like, and white. Like jittery. I found it once on, on the internet. It's out there somewhere. I don't think under the title Dildos and You. It's called The Wonderful World of 
manufacturing or well, something. We'll, I can't well, remember. I, we'll we'll find it. I'll I'll put it as a link. If I you want can to, find yeah. it, yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy, right. and it has nothing to do with misogyny. It has nothing to do with anything. I mean, they were willing to. to like, it was just funny, and it, if, well, it's like a like a like an old film reel thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Show showed. It's like a, <laughs> instead of uh, instead of Victory Gardens, it was learning how to learning how dildos were made. Yeah, it was it was crazy though. I mean, they would greenlight stuff like that, you know. And it was it was a fun place to work. But the, but the point is, so I didn't know that, that at the beginning because I didn't even apply for the job because I thought I was too good for that right. job. And okay. instead, I I wound up on a talk show called Turn Ben Stein On. I did three seasons of that, I think. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, and then there Man Show season three came around, and I was like, where do I sign on for that? Yeah. And I wrote a packet and I got on uh, the Man Show. And it turns out I was great at writing misogynistic stuff, you know, not really misogynistic. No, right, no. Sat- satirical. And frankly, like my stuff, it wasn't even like, no, it wasn't even really about women. Like my, I don't know if this says more about me than it does about the show, but like I had a, an ad for a, uh, a uh, protein stain remover. It was a laundry commercial for those, those uh, difficult uh, protein stains. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about, uh-huh. yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> there was a sketch called. Uh, uh, I think one of our presidents got in trouble for a protein I stain. I believe that those frustrating protein stains. You know, I love my men, <laughs> but really when fun. it comes to protein stains, I, I you know like that. A, that's, that'll never come out. Right. Exactly. So with this this product, you know, you can do the protein stains and uh, Assaholics Anonymous with Dr. Drew, where you know guys are assholes basically, and they it's a asshole recovery sketch. And then one that actually still gets some life in the on the internet. It's funny. It's uh. uh uh, casual sex Fridays uh, was the conceit. So the company had casual sex Fridays, and uh, in honor of the, what's funny about it is like. But this people, is back when casual Fridays was a relatively new thing as well. I mean, that's that was right. like that was yeah, I've late pi- '80s when I that pioneered started, right? that. I'm sure no, no, no. It was like it was like maybe even yeah. It was the early '90s early when 90s. Fr- casual Fridays kind of started. That's up. right. Yeah, that's right. So that was a thing. It was back like then. you know what it was. It was with. Uh, it was with Working Girl, and, and all the women wanted to wear their tennis shoes to work now, and now that, that turned into casual. Because the men were like, yeah. well, if you're going to wear tennis shoes, I'm going to wear a t-shirt. That's right. I'm not going to wear a tie. Right. Yep, yep. So uh, uh, in honor of the, the fact that I'd written the sketch, they decided to name the, the company Binds Consulting, and there's a big sign, which I actually have in my basement right now, that oh, says yeah? Binds Consulting. It's all over the sketch, which you know has now had this life on the internet. I have <laughs> some good memorabilia. I have my, my favorite uh, note on a script of all time it's from the man show i still have this it's um uh, i think it's from the assaholics anonymous sketch uh there's a, a line of dialogue that's circled with a, a bit of a stage direction there's an arrow and then someone wrote put fart here <laughs> classic note it is you know everyone and should get that note at least a, once in their comedy was comedy there a career. fart put there I believe there was, and I believe it worked. I think that was the right the right place for the fart. When doesn't it work? That's true. You got to, but you have to you have to hold it back for the right moment. And you know, someone higher up understood that this was the exact put fart here. Yeah, was the fart somewhere else, and they moved it? Uh, I think that's what it was. It was either that, or else I had something even stronger than a fart, and they wanted to reduce it to a fart or something like that. You know. I can't What's remember. Stronger what, than a fart. I'll go back. Maybe I can find the thing, and I can you can post that too. Yeah, I, I don't know. If yeah, that's violating it. any copyrights or anything. no. Okay, that, that all right. Stuff put in fart that, here. Yeah, put fart here. That's so funny. It's going to be my name of my when I write my uh, my biography. It'll be put fart here. 
just and it's, it's just a symbol that's right over your face. So you can't even see your face on the cover. They're not going to write my back. Um, the uh, uh, so this is a we've gone a long way to get to. <laughs> we got up we to the mansion, talking about, right? I think forty minutes ago. Yeah, the, um, no, yeah. so well, we're the, you you get hired at the man show. You had never met Jimmy before that. That's right. Yeah. And so you guys just hit it off. You you're working there. You're having a good time. How how many years did you work? Yeah, on I don't know. If hit it off is quite. You well, know, okay. I, mean, so, I was a new writer, and he was like yeah, in the okay. executive suite. And so you weren't immediately but, pals. Or but something. no, I mean, I he, you know he liked my writing, and he kept liking it, and you know green lighting my my bits and stuff, mm-hmm. which and it was great. You know, it was, I felt really uh, uh, encouraged and supported and everything. Uh, and then, you know, the thing was, the, the reason, you know, obviously, always take a job in television, or if you're asked to apply for a job in television, apply for it, you know, if you don't have a job, yeah, you, you can know, leave get that a job, job later. right, it's so important to have a job. But, but what I don't understand is like, you know, it was even more than just having that credit. Uh, and a man show credit was much better than a, a turn Ben Stein on credit, just because it's important how big the show is. And yeah, that show yeah. was big. Uh, it then turned out uh, that uh, Jimmy uh, was very close with John Stewart, um, which you know I would never have guessed. But they're friends, and so you know my dream job at the time was to work on The Daily Show. And you know Jimmy said, "Look, what do you want to do after this season of The Man Show?" I was like, "Boy, I've always wanted to work on The Daily Show." He's like, "Oh, you know, I'll call my friend John Stewart." And obviously, I had to write my way onto the show. You don't like a phone call doesn't do it, but, yeah. but it doesn't hurt. It certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All the submissions, all this stuff is done blind. Right. Um, but uh, uh, in you know, and it's narrowed down in a completely blind way. I don't need to get into the details. Well, I'm not sure what the process was when I was back there, it, but it was it definitely might not have been it as was blind, a, an onerous process of getting on the show. I uh-huh. mean, you have to write a packet, and then like if you they like your packet. Then you have to write another packet. Another, yeah. And the thing yeah. about the pack, the second yeah. packet is like, you know, the first packet you spend like, you know, you spend a week, you hone every little bit and everything. Yeah. It's all perfect. Right. And then the next one is like, we're going to need this one by tomorrow. Right. And uh, now you have to start doing yeah. what we do here. Exactly. It was it was brutal, you know. And then, well, of course, you know, almost as brutal as like coming in and realizing, oh, wait, that packet that I wrote in one day, that's the job. Yeah. Every, like, day. every day is writing a packet. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Sure. But you get that job, and then a year and three quarters later, who comes calling again? Well, Mr. Jimmy Kimmel. Mr. Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, yeah. He's Stealing got you back. The truth is, I mean, it wasn't, first of all, you know, I really I enjoyed working for Jimmy a lot at the Man Show. Uh, and second of all, I mean, what an opportunity, you know, to create a new national late night show that he was offering me. And so, you know, it was intoxicating. So let's let's talk about that. Uh, um, yeah. Again, we're on the uh, writer's block. I'm here with John Bynes, writer for Jimmy Kimmel Live. You went back and basically started the show with him. The, the, I mean, you were there from the very beginning. That's right. Okay, from so day one. so you're in. Are you? Are you? How much of an idea of how they were going to let the thing flow did they have did, uh, when you when you came in the door, or or were you? I have to you admit, know, tell that me about I'm not the totally of the privy show. to a lot of the decision making that went on. You know, I was brought in as a staff writer, and you know, I pretty much. Did the assignments, but I kind of, un- was... but also like it's kind of. I mean, I was brought in the same way for yeah. for the Daily Show, and there were right. things that they had going on. But I'll say, but this, the show sh- developed as we were there, and we right, helped exactly. them develop it with our ideas. I mean, you can't even, you wouldn't even recognize. The I mean, show you might today. have had the idea to have Cousin Saul or something like that. Right. You know I mean, that's, I, right? I, and that I made some contributions. You know, I uh, I was an instrumental player in bringing the. Uh, um, uh, 
this week in unnecessary censorship, which is one of our yeah, signature yeah, bits. Yeah, right, sure. Uh, well, it's like, I, I mean, played it's a large like, part It's like Meryl Marco doing the top 10 list and, and all that stuff, where it's sure, like now sure. now you she would probably retch if you mentioned it in front of her, but, yeah. you know, the, there were thing, there are things that you that you're part of the development of that show and absolutely absolutely and then they almost become irreplaceable things so that you know you've got this uh, sure and the structure changed and the way that the you know that the writing everything is has undergone you know evolution as uh jimmy and has figured out what's worked best for him right sure uh and it's been a long process you know i mean i really think the show uh had started hitting its stride like three or four years ago it really started kicking in and then people started noticing a little bit more uh, but it took after, that long, I think, to, you know, and originally, <laughs> so I do remember three years or two or three years. I think it was more than that, even. I'm not saying we didn't put on some great shows, right, you know, right, and again, like my participation in the show is limited to the comedy writing aspect of it. There's a lot more that goes on in a, you know, at The Daily Show, The Daily Show is one of the most written shows on television, I think, you know, I mean, of the late night type of show. Uh, whereas on a, on well, a traditional our interviews are limited, yeah, and the, yeah. everything except the interview, you know, the, the correspondent bits, there's mm-hmm. everything is, is the, the writers are involved in every aspect of it. Whereas a, a more traditional late night talk show, you know, a lot of it is guest segments and right. there's writing that goes on for that. You know, some of it done by segment producers and things, but you know, the comedy portion is only one aspect. The music bookings are very, very important. You know, the, the bookings are very important yeah. in a late night show. Right. Uh, there's many, many, elements there are wars. other than the comedy there are wars that can be that are going to make or break a late night show uh and they all had to come together and i think it really did take a long time but i do remember at the very beginning there was this sense of we really want this to feel very loose we want it to feel like uh like anything could happen like we want it to feel spontaneous you know and i think one of the lessons that we learned over in the, the course of doing the show is that the way you make that happen is that you do have a lot of structure and a lot of stuff banked and you really you know make sure you've got tons of material so that it allows for the kind of spontaneity that i think you know now comes up uh a lot more frequently on the show what i want to do now is uh, uh, a little segment i'm working on we're going to i don't know what the hell to call it maybe that's the first thing we can figure out because i was going to call it, i was just going to call it let's write a joke and then whoever i'm talking to we write a joke we pick something. You got the times laid out all over your table oh, here. Man. We pick something out. We write a joke. I didn't now, know you have to work. It's a weekend. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I turn it off when yeah, I'm yeah. in the office. You know. yeah, People are this, like, you're, you're a comedy writer? No. Yeah. yeah. You when, get I'm working, when I'm working. When I'm working. When I'm working. I really want to just pick a topic, a, a random topic, right. and just discuss. And we might end up coming up with a joke. We'll probably sure. come up with some jokes. We'll get some laughs out of it. But I want you and I as comedy writers to discuss... The comedy angles within that story. The story doesn't matter. Where right. can we go with this story? Let's just pick it. something out. I, I mean, just what, what, where's right. the front page? I mean, grab anything. There's a real estate section that looks nice. Hey, the empty promise of tax incentives. Yeah, see, that's kind of <laughs> comedy gold. Yeah, you have to, you have to be, you have, you have to be a little bit careful. I mean, we, yeah. I don't, I don't want to get, you know. Sometimes it's more fun to pick something that, you know. I got to tell you, a, a lot of times on the show, we'll yeah. get assigned things. And sometimes you get to choose what you're going to get assigned. Oh, I remember. Yeah. 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 And sometimes people are jumping all over yeah. it. And sometimes you're sitting back because you don't want to work on that thing. And then sometimes that person drops sure. out. Oh, you can't do this because you know, like you didn't get assigned anything. And then the person that got assigned the, the empty promise of tax incentives where you <laughs> thought like, oh, God, I don't have to do that now. Thank That's God. Right. Yeah. The, the, the head writer says, oh, no, I'm sorry. You're working on Larry Wilmore. We need somebody else. JR, you're not doing anything, right? 
Um, right. No. And, right. Okay, so why don't you write up the empty promise of tax incentives? Yeah, sure. I'm like, oh, God. And then I go, and I kill it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Because it's like I know I've I had some of why. my best experiences have, have been when Things I get you don't want yeah, to work on. and that's actually yeah that happens too. Some but sometimes there will be people will be too busy to write, and you know they'll say like, "Bynes, can you write this up?" And a lot of times, yeah, that winds up working out better. Right. I don't know why. Maybe the pressure's off a little bit because it's not my subject, so I can always be like, "Ah, this subject sucks." And then well, you what's know. the front page? What's what's uh, uh what's what's what, what's happening? Oh, nothing, nothing funny. Uh, well, you know, it doesn't, doesn't need to be funny. Let's just pick you know pick it like a you know. Story, right. something that people know. This is December second. In this Panicky is Russia, week, it's official. The end of the world is not near. Is that like? Well, no. I think no, that, okay, those, right. are, those are kind of. Sorry, you know, we only have the New York Times. Here. Those, yeah, those, those are a little op-eddy. I mean, what you had, do have the front page? What else is? What's over here? Is, I mean, is it all just is stumbling and keeping arms from Damascus? Egypt. Well, I mean, fiscal cliff. mortgage let's catch just do, pushes. You know, fiscal, fiscal cliff. cliff. Is, all right, yeah. that's on the inside, I imagine. Uh, let's see here. National. Budget showdown looming. Trusted Obama aide faces big test. Faces a big test. Who's the trusted aide? The trusted aide is Mr. Lou. Mr. Lou, appearing on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Lou, the Captain Albano? Uh, Yeah, well, you know, he transitioned. A lot of people go from pro wrestling. Took the rubber band out of his beard and got serious about things. To the president. Yeah, that happened to... uh, uh, Superfly Snuka, I believe, was the uh, <laughs> undersecretary. That's right. Yeah, uh, the undersecretary of finance uh, in the. Yeah, give me a president here. Give me a, a Grover of the, Cleveland. The Grover Cleveland. No, it was after. It had to be that. after that be because like that was like, it had something. to be Carter. Carter, yeah, yeah. Carter. Only Carter would hire Jimmy Superfly Snuka to be his whatever it was that you said. Well, because Superfly was, you know, he was a supply side guy, and a lot of people didn't. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was... <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Never made that clear in his, during his wrestling career. It's true, you know. He didn't like to mix the two. Although, you know, a lot of times you didn't, you, you don't know what he was saying to his opponent up close. He was probably really mad at him for, you know... Uh, right. I remember, though, that time he uh, Superfly Snuka was extremely influential in uh, the, the policy of... Uh, uh, having of slow and increasing inflation in uh, order to uh, deflate the debt well, he a had little bit, way, and right. to right because there was a, there was an inflation crisis at the time. Uh, but his his policy was to not put a hard break on inflation, and then afterwards he stomped around the Treasury Department right, with right. his arms overhead, and uh, and uh, he got hit by the folding chair, and you know. Somebody the ref it. didn't see any of it. This Wait, is what he, I'm saying. Like, he, he, he walked by a ladder, didn't realize did. somebody was on top of that, That's flew right. down, landed yeah. on him. It's tragic. Out it's for the count. Yeah, yeah. And I think Carter, you know, that's that was that for the Carter administration. See, there's, this is this is this somehow came out of just getting started. That was all just from the fact that the guy's name is Lou, and is it probably <laughs> it's like is he Asian? Is it Liu? Is, is it, that's his, yeah, he is. He's a, he's an Orthodox Jew. Uh, oh, the, uh, his name is Lou. But no, Lou. He's, he's but not. But Lou Asian. is his first name. What's his name? Who is um, the guy? I wrote some jokes about him for the White House Correspondence Dinner. So you oh, think really? I would know this, but uh, um, Mr. Lou. His name. His first name is Mister. <laughs> Mr. Lou. It'd be weird. If your first name was Mr. Uh, well, is Mr. Mr. His name is uh, Mr. Lou. Jacob, What's right Jacob Lou. Jacob J. Lou. Well, yeah, Lou is a weird last Jacob name. Jacob Jew. Jacob Jew. It could be Lake of J. Jew. Yes. Jacob. Jake is tough. Jack is tough, said Jim Dyer. He's a tough guy. He's a tough negotiator, but now he's facing the, the fiscal cliff. 
Uh, right. Well, see, now here's I the thing. I hope it doesn't though. happen I mean, on a Saturday. Yeah, I, think, I think it's unlikely that on, on a regular show you're necessarily going to be bringing up Jake Blue because no. nobody knows who he is. So you've got to deal in writing a joke yeah. with with addressing, with, you, you know, the less you have to explain, yeah. the better off you are. I mean, I, right. I'm not, I, I know that I'm, I'm looking you in the eye and telling you this like you don't know it. I know that you know it, but of that's course. not who we're explaining this to. And I no, want to explain gotta... this process of like how we're going to try to mine the different places that we're going to get some comedy out of this. Right. Um, you know, the we've made fun is... of the guy's name. You can do whatever you want, but, but unless yeah. people know who he is, you have to explain that first and it doesn't make, it doesn't right. make a lot of sense. And the difficulty is that I only barely know who he is and I haven't read this article either. So I'm going to try to bring Lindsay Lohan into it somehow. Well, Lindsay, Lindsay Graham. Lohan maybe oh, Lindsay like Graham. A, yeah, oh, there you, you go. You can, it's easy to mistake the two. Lindsay Graham. Yeah, I mean, at, at one hard. point or another, right, now at, at now one point or another, they're both going to be old lesbians. Uh, there you go. You know, I tell my comedy writing classes that like there's no such thing as a as a hack joke only a hack joke writer you can make a Lindsay Lohan joke funny we almost did we almost were like, we were they're on the both verge but Lindsay you bring I'm up Lindsay say, Lohan I say Lindsay Graham and they're both going to be old lesbians I'm, and that's not that's an I'm almost joke I'm going to back for a rewrite but I think we're, <laughs> we're on the right come track. on Look, I'm a harsh that's a, that's, a, that's a joke yeah yeah this is why I'm not built for management you know my standards are too high yeah yeah you uh, just... but that is good that's good two old lesbians are going to keep us and they, you know they're going over the fiscal cliff like you made me want to just quit Bynes Consulting I'm sorry Sorry, it's a tough to retain good staff at Bynes Consulting. Yeah. Even with either. the Casual Sex Friday, yeah, you would think that would be Friday. like a big. You'd think once you a big draw, that. you know. But uh, I guess people get used to anything, you know. Um, well, okay. Uh, aside from aside from Lou, just just on the just on the details that we yeah. that that you know about it about the fiscal cliff about the fiscal cliff, which which uh, um, you know obviously like uh, uh, they've. They've. Uh, um, I mean, we did on the show where there, there were a lot of people trying to get off of this metaphor of a, of a cliff and right. trying to call it other things right. because you know the idea that we're going to get to a point and everything's just going to drop off like it's Wiley e. Coyote or something is right. is ridiculous. Whereas I went the opposite way with Go it, on. which I said like you know what we really need to do is turn it into a real cliff. What we need to do is we need to find a ledge, you know, that's like, it's not too narrow, like you couldn't stand on it for any length of time, but like made of like 18 inches Not wide. even just a cliff, but a cliff on both I'm sides. About, like, right? Well, I'm talking about a big, like a Yosemite, they have some stuff like this. Uh-huh. And you take the negotiators into Congress, you know, and you put them on this cliff, all right? And when they have an agreement, uh, they can come off. And you figure, you know... And like every, every day or every half a day that they don't have an agreement, there's a wall... That like a hydraulic wall that pushes them a little. I don't think you would need it. I think it like I mean, you know we have enough time. Death is necessary here. Yeah, it would. But th- listen, you're not taking into account uh, uh, the high winds, right? Which are completely nonpartisan. <laughs> Probably up at that height. Yeah. Like, they gust I mean, a lot. Uh, they're nonpartisan. The high nonpartisan winds non-partisan of the winds. They are. They are neither. Yosemite. Left. No, I mean sometimes I, they blow from the, the left. Do you say Yosemite or Grand Canyon? Yosemite. Okay. Yosemite. At most, you're going to lose like four senators and congressmen you know to the winds replaceable fatigue yeah i mean you can vote new ones in a special election when you compare that to the the millions of low-income americans who are going to suffer if they don't get this deal done now you're getting a small price to pay and uh so that's my that was my solution was to make the fiscal cliff a literal cliff and i feel like you would have a uh agreement within possibly even within hours yeah Uh, yeah, it may take one person falling to their death before they understand that this is real and that they're not going to... But Turn after their that own happens, words on them. They're the ones pushing this whole idea of a exactly. cliff. Make it an actual right cliff. Right on the fiscal cliff. 
Yes, exactly. No bungee cords, no carabiners. Uh, I don't know what the joke is there. This is almost turning into a sketch kind of thing. You know, it's a, it's a, yeah, or it's a monologue-y kind of thing. It's a, just a suggestion. At this point, it's just a suggestion. But you could turn, you could create something. You could craft a fake news report. Oh, so it's, mon- it's monologue in that you'd like, here's what we do. Here's well, what that, I decide, you know. If you wanted to go with that concept, I mean, there's various ways you could illustrate it. I mean, the thing is, you know, with television, it, you think of these funny ideas and then you're like, oh, wait, you can't just say that. People have to be looking at something while that's going on. What are they looking at? You know? What? So you have to explain what they're so looking you, at? Are you talking no, you about have photos? To show it you're show you got to figure out what's going to be on the TV screen and why that's going to be funny. Is it well, just going to be, gives, it just gonna be it's your... a monologue joke, it's just the guy standing there telling the joke. Right, but as me. you pointed out, we don't have a monologue joke here. We have like, a, hey, it should be a real cliff. Then they'd have to... It starts to get a little, little wordy and a little like you know. Well, I mean, if you show, if you did like we do a lot of mock-ups at the show. If you did yeah. a mock-up of some of the more well-known senators, literally like like yeah. like huddled by no, a, I think by that a might be a way to something go. with like a bulldozer behind them pushing sure. them off. You could say like, here's here's what I'm thinking. Can we bring up Figure One? You know, and yeah, then yeah, you yeah, show right. them like here's like you know this is the cliff, and uh, you know, and you could you could work it out from there. And like yes, if they weren't negotiating enough, maybe you could add, you could add this and you add the bulldozer. You could add some hungry eagles, you know, that are, you know, sensing. You know, they can, yeah, some, some of the, some right? of the bigger, some of the bigger birds of prey can, can pick up a lamb. Sure. So they might not lamb. get a whole senator, but they might be able to pluck out an eye or something. At the you very know? least. Yeah, exactly. Or like a nose. A lot of the pieces are falling off of these senators and congressmen anyway. They're, you know, they're not young men. No. Uh, and so, you know, there could be, right. So we, there's various ways you could escalate it. Uh, I'm not saying this is going on the show. I'm just saying no. that. Uh, you mean on the podcast? It's definitely going on the podcast. Yeah, I think may so. not be, I like it. You may not see it on a late night television program, but this is, you know. No, you have to. You would, yeah, you have to. You would start thinking that. visually, and you would start thinking, all right, what can I? What? How will this look? Not just how does it sound? Is right. it a funny conceit? But how's it going to look on a TV screen? And right? then once you once you do that, once you get those once you get those visuals, then. It, it would it would potentially change than what you actually say about it. Although you know, if I can put my my comedy professor hat on for a second, you Please. also have to uh, avoid the alternative problem of like envisioning hilarious visual things that could never possibly actually appear on the screen. Like, what if we had a sketch where we actually had eight congressmen on a cliff? And then there were eagles attacking the congressman. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be amazing. Yeah. The eagles would be coming down attacking these congressmen. And you're like, okay, now you're talking about eight SAG actors. Uh, you <laughs> that, know, that's, that's you're talking number about one. number one before you even get to the CGI eagles, you know? And you would get, like, I taught uh, late night classes right. a, a little bit, and uh, you would get these all the time. And it's sort of like, you understand that we are not Steven Spielberg here. Well, we're yeah, not, right, right. We don't know. have CGI. This yeah. is, yeah, that, and that's, uh, um, you know, that's, I don't think that comes up so much be- unless you're just completely green. I worked with the guy yeah. at the show right. um, who you may or may not know who, had that pro- I had that problem with him a lot. Yeah. That that he would he would make all these ridiculous suggestions where I would say like we could, that's it's unproducible. Right. And 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 he would say like that's not our problem. I'll tell you what well, else you it's get. Not, it's not but it's not our way to make it somebody else's problem. So right. the so the um, 
that's a really green problem, but it's not a non-problem. And it's also something to keep in mind when you're writing any kind of script or something. It's like, and you know, you can make it as funny as you want and packets. Yeah, you can make it funny, yeah. but you it needs to be able to get done. Absolutely. When you're writing packets, I mean, it's the most important thing is to be to write stuff that could go right on the show. And so, I mean, one thing you see a lot is maybe not like, you know, helicopters come down, although you do see that. Uh, you also see like uh, Brad Pitt enters. Oh yeah, yeah right, there's this right, notion right. that like if you're in television, you can get Brad Pitt to be on your on your you know that it, you won't get a job if you write don't write well, a celebrity into a sketch unless you personally know the celebrity. Who can. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, then, but then, but then you know, but then it does, that, then it's funny. Like you'll take a sketch like that. It's an actually right. a funny sketch, the right. one where Brad Pitt enters, right. and you end up doing the sketch, and you know. Um, and 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 it and it turns into like you know Jason Alexander enters. Oh sure. You know? <laughs> Once you're on a show, you can have I mean you can have sketches where like celebrity TBD enters. You yeah. Know? But the problem is you can't rely on the celebrity for any amount of comedy if you're trying to write your way onto a show. All the comedy has oh, right. to come from you. And you mean if I'm you're talking, talking about, you're talking about a submission? Yeah, I'm talking about if you're trying to get a job. If you have a job, you know you obviously have to be a little selective about it. But you can be like, this would be a great bit for a celebrity. Who do we have coming? on the show yeah you know? it's interesting that happens that, a lot that idea of like when you're the, the the difference of writing for a show and writing a submission for a show right. is a is is a very different thing it's worth addressing very quickly here i think um uh when you're actually when you've actually got the job you can begin to make even what you feel are potentially outrageous suggestions that because you, you think like we might not be able to do this but if we can do something like it, but here's the idea in my head and I want to get it out. And if we can do something like this, it can still be funny. What That's do you right. think of this? That's right. And then you can bring it back. Yes. Whereas when you're doing a submission, you don't have that freedom. You really want everything that's in that submission to be completely realistic to the show, to that's be as right. close to the show. But it's also extremely important to have your own voice in there somehow because yes. what shows have are writing staffs full of talented people right. um, who are very good at writing for the show what they don't have is you and so you have to show that you can write for the show but you also have to show that you have your own point of view your own references and your own abilities that you're going to bring that'll bring that staff up a little bit. That's that, right. That'll, that'll, That's that'll... right. I mean, I would only say that, you know, the number one thing to keep in mind is you're trying to make this the show that head writer and the host's life easy. If you're, you know, in terms of writing to get on a show, you just want to, you know, if they can look at your packet and say, yeah, this could go right on the air, you know, and we can plug this guy in because right. you know he's going to work for us. I don't have to work on this writer. But that know? does not include like foot massages, stuff like that. I mean, anything you need to do to whatever, get that first job. Anything. 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 Anything, anything uh, that you need to do. And uh, on that note, <laughs> not saying that I personally. We are encouraging you to ridicule yourself. Not, uh, but uh, but this goes note. along also with that thing you were saying before. Like if you can get a job on a show get that job get don't that think job. that you're above it take it because you can leave it later that's take right the job. while there are still jobs in television before and the internet not only do you get everything. the experience of actually going into an office and writing comedy each day you right. get a little bit of money and you begin to meet people that's right. and that's and, and and that's how the world goes around all right all right um signing off now writer's block podcast i'm jr Havlin. We're out here in Brooklyn talking to John Vines, writer for Fantastic Jimmy Kimmel Live Show. Happy with yourself? You like it? I love it. All right. All right. Good to talk to you. Thanks for yeah. You thanks too. For thanks coming. for coming out. All right. Cool. Bye, John. Bye.
So long, everyone. Should we do it again? Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.